Yes, guys, what's good? You're tuned into Mango Masala, Pi Radio South Asian show. My name's Gerns, and I'm here with Halima. How are you doing? Morning, everyone. <laughs> I am extremely tired. Very tired because I am not in the country. Um, I am in, drumroll, sunny Cyprus. Yay. I didn't. I had an inkling that it was going to be like Cyprus because I know you said like edge of Europe. Yeah, right, edge of Europe. Well, from one island to another, uh, vastly, vastly different island. How is it? Fantastic, actually. It's very gorgeous. Like I, we landed like quite late last. Oh my god. No, I'm sorry. Do I have a story for you guys? <laughs> we landed very late last night. Obviously, flew with a certain budget airline that is mm. always late. Interesting. Um, always delayed. So it was. We literally like it was. We were delayed maybe about like forty minutes getting onto the plane. Like from the time that we were supposed to fly, we didn't even get on until like forty minutes later. And then we were delayed another like forty-five, like. To, an, to 60 minutes literally on the plane so i'm in cyprus there's a place in cyprus called larnaca they have a football team and that football team is playing west ham tomorrow uh, so take a guess what demographic of people my plane was filled with oh my <laughs> god literally within two minutes of being on the plane i thought oh my god god this is because because it's a long journey it's like a four hour flight as well like three hours 50 minutes and obviously we were stuck for like an hour beforehand so i was on the plane from around five like just less than five hours when i tell you it's the most like geezer like proper typical english fans and they i was surrounded by them i was sat on the same row as them sat in front of me sat behind me sat to the side of me i bet you fit right in oh my god carlos like okay i'm not gonna sit here and stereotype all proper geezer football fans but these lot like they were just shouting like they were fighting with the air hostesses um and then what they were they were literally out loud this is this is a good segue into what we're going to talk about. But they were literally out loud talking about women, about women who they're maybe dating or something. And they, they're middle-aged, you know, these guys. Um, they were talking about them in very derogatory ways. They were literally showing, like, like photos of women, like nude photos of women, like, waving it, putting the phone up in the air, just showing everyone, because it's a massive group of them. Just show them all, and then they just sit and sit and rate the woman. As in, were the photos personal or from the internet, or personal? Oh, that's not good. Oh, disgusting! Honestly, I was just sat there like this. Oh my god! I thought five hours of this. Goodness gracious! So I'm guessing you joined in on the rating, right? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> The one next to me, and then kind of like, he kind of like got friendly with me then because he just started talking to me about like traveling. It's really weird because they're really like, they were dead nice to me from the beginning. Like they were, they were like from the beginning, like, 
when they would do the whole woman thing, the one literally turned to me, the one on my road literally turned to me and went, close your ears, darling. <laughs> like, I thought you can't be for real. And then when I was sat having a chat with one of them, he was really, really like nice, like interpersonally, obviously doesn't discount the fact that he's obviously still a raging misogynist, if that's always talking about women. But I just thought, oh, the duality of men and the dichotomy of like the experiences that you have with them as women, it's just so bizarre. Do you know what I mean? Like interpersonally being lovely to me, but then he's also sat there talking horribly, or what I think was horribly about another woman. So it is interesting as well because it's kind of like if this is a personal photo, we're presuming that these are people that they're actually close to. And I think the most common example of mm-hmm. um like the irony of misogyny is when people will or men will act a certain way towards women but then the moment that it gets suggested that it's someone close to them they're like uh, the, the defense is oh would you do that to your sister sort of thing was interesting or would you do that to your partner but then it's like here they are kind of talking in this sense they're talking smack about their uh, personal people but then to you yeah. a stranger they're like oh it's all right don't worry about it yeah, like no, exactly exactly and it's kind of you know we had this discussion last week about um like revenge porn and consent and what and how consent goes further than just like the physical act of intercourse and how it bleeds into like you know sensitive property of other people and that's kind of i was sat there and i was like i'm sure if you ask this girl, I don't think she would give you permission. Yeah. Like, if you have a photo, I'm assuming, if it's someone who you know personally, she will have given it to you. And if she hasn't given it to you, then you've somehow got it from maybe someone else who was talking to her, which is already mad. And now you're, like, just waving up in the air to the point where me, a complete stranger, I could see the photo, you know? And it's obviously a very intimate photo of this woman. And I don't think if she knew she would consent, to it being waved around in an air in an airplane full of random people, I'd be very surprised if she was all for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's just kind of like, okay, great. Like we had this whole conversation, and then now we're literally seeing it in practice how awful it is. Yeah. So we were delayed, but we did get here, alhamdulillah, in one piece. And you go into the football match, yeah? Absolutely not. Absolutely. Thankfully, they're not on our flight back. How do you how do you know that? He told me. He told me <laughs> they're going back on like Sunday or something. But thankfully, not on our flight back. Yeah, landed very late last night. I am absolutely shattered this morning. It's like afternoon here, to be fair. <laughs> but I'm not complaining because the weather is. I stepped outside just for a minute just before this call now, and oh my god. Like, it's not super, super, super hot. It's just, like, it's early 20s. But it's, like, it's hilarious. I thought this is the perfect time to leave in London. It's it's yeah. snowing. This is the thing, right? Like, can you believe a couple of days ago, I got into my car and I was like, whoa. It was the feeling of when um the sun's been shining on your car and you get in and it's really warm inside the car almost too warm oh, oh yeah yeah and oh, yeah. i was and i was like oh my gosh like this is it like we're get spring spring Literally. summer is coming oh, <laughs> two days God. later like the just... clocks go back in a fortnight 
the clock we spoke about it was it last week or the week before we spoke about it when we was like the clocks go back in a fortnight it's literally the final stretch it's the home run you guys it's about to get better <laughs> the British weather went psych here's a little blizzard here's a little yeah. snow it was insane because literally because I, I didn't personally see I think I woke up too late and the snow had like washed away by that point but um I, I like was on social media and all my friends who are in London everyone who's in London literally sh- like posting photos of the snow and then when we were <clears throat> excuse me when we were queuing up to get on our flight it was snowing it was literally I was because because you know like on um that certain budget airline <laughs> to go outside and queue up and like climb up the stairs don't you um and we were doing that and it was literally like I kid you not it was it was like it was snowing while we were stood I was like I got snow in my jacket when I got into the plane so I was like this is genuinely just the most perfect time to leave you yeah know, I'm more grateful for the timing so yeah I'm very happy to be here Good for you. Yeah, I deserve. Well, you do deserve it because also that has happened this week, International Women's Day. Yeah, speaking of misogyny. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of misogyny. I don't think there's really too much to say in regards to this. I think I have found, like, and again, I'm much aware of my position as speaking on this as someone who's not a woman, but I think this is the third international women's day that we have covered in a sense on this show is it? yeah so we did 2021 2022 and 2023 but this is the thing right i think it's kind of got to the point where and i'm sure what it, else do we have to say yeah <laughs> things don't are, things aren't day. changing that much i don't think no, um, i mean it's still nice i think to see like um, on social media as well, people kind of sharing, affirming things, um, encouraging women to be independent and bold and speak their minds, and all women as well, not just cis women, like or straight women, that sort of thing, or white women. I think, like, for me, um, I think it's important to actually like remember. Um, the the roots of international women's day because a lot of people like obviously it's 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 like all kind of like um uh like political movements that kind of get co-opted and commercialized you know like pride and black history month and stuff like there is always a bit of a difficulty and a bit of a kind of contention and conundrum between kind of what the origins of those movements are, like what the origins of like Black History Month is, which is like, you know, the Black Power Movement. And then like what the origins of Pride are, which is obviously like queer rights movements. And then the origins of what International Women's Days are, which is actually socialist movement. Um, It's very hard to kind of um, know and stay in touch with um, the the origins of, of certain movements when they do become co-opted and, and commercialized as I say like big corporations they turn it into like oh this international women's day like, uh. girl boss girl bossing it's like yeah. actually actually if you knew anything so the roots of international women's day are the complete complete opposite so actually it was like the origins of it, it was started by socialist women um 
like as part of a socialist movement in New York, um, what at the time that the USSR was formed, um, and obviously it's all about kind of, um, I'm not kind of I'm not going to go into the kind of <laughs> the uh, political origins and and um, scaffolding of communism right now, but it was very much about the kind of material reality of women's labour conditions and labour rights and labour movements. Um, it was about women. It's, 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 it's essentially, it was about Marxist feminism. You know, it's about women being liberated through Marxism and women pushing Marxism through their feminism, right? That's really what International Women's Day is about. So when we talk about it, we need to talk really about... Um, the kind of like material the material reality of the women in the world who created international women's day and for who international women's day was created and i say that because obviously there are a lot of things in the world that are universal to the female experience um however not all women are the same like there are and that's why i guess we do have inter intersectional feminism um but this is very 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 uh classed focus which i know bring then brings an intersex of like race and queerness and stuff like that but um when i for me it's not necessarily about kind of like your best friends and and so the, like I, I I do think it's a nice incentive to celebrate the women in your life like I don't I'm not mad that that is kind of what it has evolved to become because that's always going to be a nice thing to do um and, and I think people can do that but also and I think that's what's more important to pay credence to what the origins are right and, and for me it's to still shine a light on the women who are materially in need of being liberated particularly through marxism and i'm talking about women in like the global south right like in the west particularly because i feel like it's more celebrated in the west than it is in like kind of other other places and as i said where it's co-opted by like you know corporations it's very much about like girl bossing and it's very much about like oh women in the workplace and women in the corporate world and and all of these things and it's like yeah the, those experiences are still valid and they're still important but they don't compare to women who are literally living and working in slave conditions in the global south you know like you have yeah. to think about when we talk about materiality what we talk about what we're really talking about is someone's like proximity to death right and that's how we really gauge like whether whether someone's a proletariat or like how sorry not whether they're proletariat how in need they are of like a marxist um liberation so for me that's really who i think we need to be shining the spotlight on because yes there are there's a lot that we face as women in the west but we're not necessarily waking every waking up every single day fighting for our lives you know but then i think it does come to i think we have discussed this in previous years it comes to the fact of i think when you're saying that you very much have an awareness of how to go about shining a light on those women whereas where again when it's co-opted by the west in general it turns very much into a dangerous territory because it ends up 
um, pushing certain stereotypes um, towards these that's countries the, in general. That's really difficult. That is really, really difficult because it's kind of like... It, it is very, it's, as, as we say, it's rooted in a socialist movement and it therefore should be focused on like a, a socialist uh, metho- methodology, right? But then obviously then it's kind of like, oh, is it, does it become like the white woman saviour, you know? Um, but I think that there's, there's, there's a way to do it, obviously, that is, that pay, that heeds that, that sensitivity, um, but also does the necessary work. Um, yeah, so I, I really think that, you know, every time International Women's Day comes around, it's it's nice and it's cute and it's very lovely to celebrate the women in your life. And maybe, you know, if you are a woman who kind of has hitherto, like, used International Women's Day to celebrate your own achievements and your career and in your personal life and all these things, that's nice. That's very nice. Like, I don't, I sh- I don't think we should take away from that, like, if that's how, you know, if it's just a reminder to women to celebrate themselves and the women in their lives, but do not, I like really implore people, do not forget what the origins of the movement are and the fact that it is still an ongoing um, necessary intervention. You know, it was created decades ago, but it's still 100% a very, like, I think what I'm trying to say is just remember that International Women's Day doesn't mean the same thing for all the women in the world. And that, what the the ideals and the political objectives that the the day purports that not every woman needs them to the same capacity right that's what that's what i would say just kind of remember that we face a lot here in the west but there are women who are literally every single day of their lives they're waking up and their lives are like in danger you know so think about the materiality of that that's what i would say that's what my advice would be hashtag girl boss hashtag not girl boss <laughs> lolly corporation <laughs> gonna play a bit of music now but when we come back we're gonna get into the jolly events of bad vibes island so stay tuned for that but before we get into bad vibes island we're actually going to be delivering you the latest segment of agony ante which is very juicy today so make sure you stay tuned for that Here's a bit of music to start off with though. This is AK and Abu with Gulson. Right, it's time to get into this week's Agony Ante. So for those of you that don't know, seeing as this is still quite a new segment here at Mango Masala, basically we asked you lot to send in a load of confessions, queries, problems to us um, a couple of months ago, and you delivered. And we are offering our full, unfiltered um, expert... <laughs> advice um to whatever problem you sent us so let's get into this week's i'm seeing a mossy she's married i'm 32 she's 46 Ooh. oh she's let's married let's unpack bit by bit oh right? the age. why did you describe her as a mossy why do you not not just an older woman is this why real? Is, she speci- is, it is this your- real Okay, first and foremost, you're moving mad because she's married. You're both moving mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Mo- it's an affair. compass wise, it's f- it's mad because Age it's thing an affair. Isn't f- you're 32, she's 46. I've heard crazier. Yeah. I just think, let's put the moral compass aside for a second. Why are you referring to her as a mussy? That's rude. You're why being is she rude not just to your like girl. An older woman or like a, why is she yeah. just that to you? Maybe she 
is a must-see. Yeah, she could be a must-see. Obviously, he, no, he's obviously referring to, like, a stereotype. She's obviously a certain yeah, type yeah, of woman. Yeah. But I just feel like, put some respect on her. Yeah, it is rude. It's rude. I'm seeing a must-see. She's married. Back to the marriage. It's mad. You lot can't be doing that, man. You can't be doing homewrecker. Like, yeah. I'll tell you one thing, yeah. This is what I, oh, this is what I always say. You know, there's instances where, um, like, women or men will get with their partner from like they will be the home wrecker and then the partner will end up with them if he ends up with this woman having broken up her home so like they got together on the basis of an affair like an affair is what started their relationship oh she will leave you yeah the way you started is the, the way, way you end. lost her is the, yeah, the way yeah. you got her is the, the way, way you will lose her, her. Yeah, yeah. Like that's that's what I'm saying. Like if because that's very that that is that common ha- yeah it's common and also like I mean obviously you personally also have very compromised morals if you are willing to have an affair with somebody but say for example there might be one party and it might be this guy if he sent it into an agony and obviously there's something not sitting right with him because he sent it into an agony yeah you know it needs to be anonymous do you know what i mean so he might be having that relationship in earnest he might be thinking like i like this person i want to be with them and oftentimes i know in affairs it's a situation where they're like oh i'll leave my family i'll leave my partner just wait just wait i'm gonna leave them for you blah 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 right you have to think to yourself like are you actually willing to be with someone who is capable of having an affair on their on their partner i understand there are so many extenuating circumstances in which an affair might be warranted in, in 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 a sense where like i'm not condoning affairs i mean in the sense where like the marriage might not be good it might be loveless you know like your your mistress or your little bit on the side like that might be your real love or whatever what you do is you leave your partner before yeah. you pursue anything why are you having an affair if we're gonna look at this unpicking it you say she's not married Age-wise, I, I, well, I don't I, think it's that I, deep. I heard I, crazy. Yeah. Thirty-two and forty-six isn't ringing alarm bells. Is there a point at which age gaps in relationships don't become? Yeah, I think that yeah, that yeah, age. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm not going to put a deep. number on it and say like, oh, it's X age. It stops becoming weird at this many years difference. But there is a point where like you hear an age difference and you think, Ooh. and you hear an age difference and you think, okay, yeah. whatever. Like, so it's it? what? For, what is it? Thirty-two and forty-six or yeah. fourteen years? So, like, if it was, like, 19 and 35, 45. 33. 33. Wow. Am I stupid? 33. I heard something I recently. would be, like, I would be, like, mm, that's outside eye. But 33, that's what I mean. Like, at that age, I think I was gonna say, I'm not going to put a number on it, but, like, there is a point where a certain age gap stops you, being it's a, a weird thing. adult yeah, threshold, yeah. it? Where I it's like, heard. And it's, it's always dependent on, like, your stage of life. Well, if you're starting uni and they're 10 years into their career, that's what mad. do you even have in common? In it? Well, this is the thing. I heard that the equation to do is half your age plus seven. Yeah. And that's, like... The minimum. Or oh, is it minus or plus? Plus. Yeah, plus, plus, plus. Wait, wait, wait. Plus. Half your age and plus seven is the it's age like, that you could go for, the youngest. Yeah, the you youngest. Could go so mine would be 20, but to be honest, that for me is mad. Mine would be 19, 18, 19. No, nah, nah. that's it's too much. That's, I would never. Even if I was a boy and I was like yeah, 20, 23-year-old no. male no. with an 18-year-old girl, still yeah, something no. a little fishy going on there. Yeah. Because I would say, yeah, because and this is what it is. So like, say, say if I would, so for me, the difference is six, so apparently my youngest 
a 20 year old and a 26 year old mazza you can't be doing that but then a 26 year old and a 32 year old i think is calm but it's about maturity life stage, that's what i mean it's what because you have in common temperament like hundreds. there's a lot of factors when it gets past the point it stops becoming a bit like when you side diet when you raise yeah. the red flag like you reach a certain when you're in threshold that teen, young adult like early 20 stage there is that kind of like threshold of age where like it can get a little bit dubious but Dubious. 32 and 46 32 and 46 isn't freaking me out yeah. the musty bit is yeah <laughs> i agree there you go. so what's your advice i think cut it off it. do the right yeah. thing be adults and be yeah bro, it's mad like if you not really love each other and yeah. you're very earnest about your relationship and, and it's genuine musty, it's weird yeah that's rude firstly it's weird yeah if, if it's a genuine relationship i'm sorry like do it the right way she has to leave her partner and then you guys can pursue something but for right now, you cannot be doing up a fair. It's horrible. And you know it's, it's disgusting. Because you wouldn't have come on this platform exactly. to tell us about it. It really is. It, they call it home wrecker for a reason. Yeah. Like you actually don't know. I know. Like for you, <clears throat> I understand the 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 compulsion that comes with love. You can't be selfish because you know what? If you start your relationship Other on this people, basis, potentially children. Are do you know what, what I mean? Do they do? Like, all the hurt and all the havoc that you wreak, yeah. it will follow you into your relationship. You yeah. need to start a relationship on fresh ground, on, on good faith. And you cannot do that if the basis and the beginning of your relationship yeah. is forged on an affair. You find ways to justify your actions. Oh, she's in a loveless marriage. She's This marriage is a problem. She mm-hmm. doesn't feel happy or fulfilled. I'm doing those things for her. So whether she stays married or not, at least she's getting that from me. Doesn't make it right. Yeah. Tell her to leave then. Do you know what I mean? Like, you, there's... <clears throat> for you you're thinking about yourself you're thinking about your own gratification your own satisfaction your own compulsion to love yeah but there's a- another side at the other end of it there's a partner a family i'm guessing children an entire in-law who they will be impacted mm. by the consequences of your guys's selfish decisions you know it's not to say that you can't be together it's not to say that you can't pursue your love do it the right way you know have grow some b- and do it the right way that's what my advice is and that concludes this week's Agni Auntie. Make sure you tune in again next week for more of the same. Getting back into the music before we continue with the episode, this one is Same Thing by Sucker. Trenches Freestyle by Explicit here on Mango Masala, the South Asian show on Pi Radio, Manchester's number one youth radio station. My name's Gerns, I'm here with Halima. Hey guys. Or oh, she might not be Halima actually, I'm quite... Oh the my way... God, <laughs> On guys, International I'm... Women's Day of all days. Guys, I'm not gonna lie, yeah. Like you lot will not be seeing my face on this on this recording. You lot will not be seeing my face on this recording. Like I've had to never see this face again. You will never see my face. No one will catch me lacking to this degree, except for Carlos, because we're we're recording right now. So you lot can't see, but Carlos can see that I look look like it's because also you've got your you've got your blur background on so it's like cutting your hair to look like you look like Kira Knightley oh, and like Beckham. <laughs> I'm just a floating head I literally do. I look like Kira Knightley <laughs> basically context I had a very long flight last night and then I slept at like I slept at probably like 5 30 a.m and then I was up at like half 11 so I only slept for six hours which for me is it's like two hours of sleep so I feel like I'm on two hours of sleep and then I woke up and I haven't I literally haven't even had time to like sort myself out so that's why I look like this not that you lot will ever know but Carlos can and he's trolling me for it 
looking at me. Well, I was saying I'm not that much better. My hair is is what happens when I wash my hair the night before, then go to bed, and then I literally just wake up and it's just all like. Do you have a hair care routine, Carlos? Um, <laughs> for the people out there that really want to know, um, not really. I think um I am conscious this time of. Because I've had my hair long a few times, and this obviously it's growing out again. I'm conscious of the last time that my hair was really long. By the time that I chopped it all off, it was like I still have nice hair, and I and I know that. But like it was very like not kept well. Like I wasn't brushing it enough. I wasn't really taking care of it. And I was just gonna say, do you have like typical thick desi hair? Yeah, I've got my dad's hair, which is oh. a blessing. My mum's side is very much thin, and the men on her side are balding, so touch wood, that's not wow. <laughs> in my destiny. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, no, I, I think I do have, I definitely get my hair from my dad's side, and it's just, it's just, it's, it's hard to tame sometimes. And it was interesting, because I think that was something, this is like a complete tangent, but I, and something maybe to discuss at a later date, but I think... Growing up, I think I had limited experiences in regards to my um, ethnic background in terms of how it affected me, obviously, because I had the benefit of being mixed and presenting as being more racially ambiguous, etc., as well as other things. But one of the things that I look back on now and I'm like, you know what, that actually was to do with it was... I remember being in school and really wanting, like, to have hair that, like, looked like a certain... Like, to have it cut to be, like, a certain way that looked like the style. And it just didn't work. And I'm not by any means saying... I know this is, like, a lot more intense for um, certain other people. For example, people um, uh, who have um, black or um, Afro-style hair. Like, obviously, that is a lot harder to contain if you're trying to do it to like the western standard for example not that you should but if you're trying to do that but like with the i did find that i'd go to the hairdresser be like i want to look like this and they just wouldn't be able to know what to do with your hair yeah Yeah. Um, and i look back now and i'm like i used to like not i used to really want to look like that and I, i wish i'd kind of been like I, I was always looking to like the Western style as well. I I wish I'd kind of yeah. look back and be like maybe like looked at like some Asian um people yeah get some like, get some oil yeah. in your hair like well that's the thing like when I went to uni one of the first things that I like did in terms of my hair was I grew it out again I think that was the first time I grew it out properly in a while and um, mm. I. Even like oil, like I just started using like argan oil, which I know like some people like it, some people don't, but that just it just made such a difference, like in terms of like being able to actually run my fingers through my hair for once, and like yeah, but yeah, it's a whole other story, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah, the hair is definitely very 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 critical. We know we know it's the case with like kind of the more extreme examples would be like you know, black hair, Afro hair, and how um, people who wear their natural hairstyles are treated in, like, professional and, and um, like, workplace environments, even school and stuff like that. Um, and it can also, hair can also really be a point of, like, cultural inheritance and access to, like, 
you know, certain performances of culture and stuff. Because, you know, with desi hair in particular, it is very, we do tend to have very, like, thick, luscious hair and you know we love to oil our hair and it's such a hair is such an important thing in desi culture the way we look after it you know like where obviously i never listened but it is a thing with like desi women particularly where we're really really supposed to look after hair our hair like you know we oil it every single week and it's I, you know, one thing that I love, like, the older I get, the more I kind of really <clears throat> hone in and, like, concertedly show an appreciation for certain, like, cultural practices that I just took for granted my whole life. And one of them is, um, like, uh, uh, hair and how we look after hair and how we get uh, our hair oiled and, like, plaited and done by, like, elder women in our community, you know, like... <clears throat> growing up my hair was just constantly being like whoever I'm with like whether it's my grandma or my mom or my aunties or even my older cousins all the time my hair was just being like I would just be sat there and you know there'll be just someone behind me like oiling my hair plaiting my hair like doing my hair right and like I noticed it this time around like when I was in America because obviously it's my family who I don't get to see that often. So I was just noticing all the little things that we do all the time that are like just so special to me. And one of them was like, you know, one day my auntie was, we were just all chilling together. My auntie had like a production line where one by one, we were all going to sit in front of her and she'd oil all of our hairs and then plait it up for us and and stuff like that. And it's, you know, as I say, it is such a special, like it is a very, very quintessential like uh, desi female grooming routine but it is such like a like fond memory from our childhood and also such a like lovely part of our like cultural inheritance as well the way we really treat and look after our hair so I hear that it's something to embrace everyone out there love your hair or lack of like and that's something to remind no because like i was just listening to what you were saying and i think it's so valid and so correct and so right it did make me think about um how obviously there are um people out there women out there who sadly don't necessarily have hair any longer and that's still it doesn't mean it doesn't it you obviously you might still feel like there's a, a bit missing like if especially if you've had hair previously but I don't think you should like you can find your connection to your culture in other ways basically yeah 100%, 100%. Yeah. right we've gone on a massive hair tangent but <laughs> now it's time for uh, if you have you outgrown it um not the actual recording, maybe just your singing of it, your your own live rendition. Right. Perhaps. Anyway. Yeah, anyway. Bad Vibes Island this week. I mean, I didn't even know this was coming. Like, I kind of just saw it blow up on social media. I mean, I obviously knew it was coming, but not, like, this week specifically. Um, yeah. But basically, if you don't know what we're talking about we're referring to the fact that prime minister rishi sunak and home secretary suella braverman hashtag south asian representation have, <laughs> have confirmed that and it's so funny well not funny but so ironic the fact that this is called the illegal migration bill 
and it's like yes uh, this is uh, illegal by him it's probably is illegal by him international law which we'll get into later um uh, but basically um this new bill is aiming um to tackle what rishi sunak refers to as the problem or the issue of illegal immigration into the uk this new bill is basically aiming to see that people who arrive into the uk illegally will be removed within weeks and receive a lifetime ban on claiming asylum and i think one of the tweets that rishi sunak did to her well one of the tweets that he put out um to accompany this announcement um, was he put out like a series of like info, not infographics, but just like graphics um, yeah. to accompany this? Really nice, and lovely animation yeah. about, about being purchased. Yeah, lovely. But the Sorry thing, my opinion. <laughs> the thing that he put out was um, if you come to the UK illegally, you can't claim asylum, you can't make spurious human rights claims, you can't stay. As in, like, as in, like you can never, you can never then yeah. enter the country in any capacity. Like, yeah. it's mad. The thing as well, you can't benefit from our modern slavery protections. Right. So basically. Rishi Sunak has just announced to every criminal trafficking gang that if yep. people come to the UK illegally, they and they yep. want them to work for um, them under modern slavery practices, then they don't have That's a leg okay. to stand on. Yeah, they can, well, it's it's not that it's okay, but it's like you well they can, they can't do anything about it. So like, oh I don't, I really don't. It's, I can't, I feel, it's, I can't even talk. I can't even talk. Like, I'm laughing because of how ludicrous this is. Mm. I feel like I can't do anything but growl. Like, it's just insane. It's actually insane. Um, it's scary. It's terrifying. Oh, my God. Um... I I can't like oh my god like I don't even know where to start I actually don't even know where to start so they're they're telling people if you come in illegally which by the way guys I'm gonna say another my, another reminder again all borders are inherently violent all borders are absolute made up colonial constructs they're not even real. So how do we determine who, how, just the very concept of a human being being illegal, to me, I like, it's preposterous. The way I look at it is so clear. It is preposterous that you can really brandish a whole human being as being illegitimate and illegal because of they found themselves on a side of a border which itself is genuinely completely arbitrarily made up that's first and foremost let's establish that so this conversation already is just nonsense like who how are we calling a whole human being illegal bro like it's mad it's actually mad just for existing in a specific geographical space that's firstly and 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 it's also especially cheeky for someone like britain to be brandishing human beings as illegal when at the height of empire they literally 
had dominion over a quarter of the world's land mass and a quarter of the world's population. To date, this is the largest empire that history has ever seen. I don't know how you lot are calling, fixing your lips to call anyone, anyone illegal. I'm sorry, were you illegal when you found yourself in British India, when you found yourself all over the Caribbean and all over Africa? Is that, were you illegal then? Hmm. Anyways. Because I think people are yet to actually um apologize and or pay reparations for that if you're going to claim that these people coming to the uk are entering so illegally then what is it that you literally britain was doing for centuries like and if you are then you need to own up and actually like that's what i'm saying were you illegal when you when you had dominion over a quarter of the world's land a quarter of the world's land mass and population it's even how these borders came about. But yeah, that's first first and foremost. Like, let's really situate this whole conversation in this, like, a, an understanding of how ludicrous it is to call any, any human being illegal, first and foremost. And then secondly, to understand how ludicrous borders are, the concept of borders are. Finally, like, to have a blanket policy that renders everybody illegal simply based on the manner in which they have entered a country which by the way i think that and we speak we speak about kind of you know this issue of asylum and 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 refugees and all of these things all the time on the show and we try to be really really sensitive to these issues because it is one thing that is overlooked time and time again that actually we're talking about very vulnerable people like, there really needs to be a sensitivity when we're talking about British people, for the most part, like, the, the majority of the British body politic is so xenophobic, it's so racist. They genuinely, and obviously it's because it is, that sentiment is galvanised in them through our politicians and our media that refer to these people invading and refer to them as cockroaches and, and other, like, apparently derogatory terms. But as a result, it does kind of turn this narrative into one where anytime it's, it comes up, people are just talking about it, like, oh, get them out of our country, like, oh, they're so bad, they're coming in, they're taking over, they're doing this, they're doing that. And you forget at the heart of it, what it is is really, really vulnerable people that are coming here because they don't have a choice. Like, they're running from something, they're in danger in some kind of way or they're in need of help in some kind of way. Now, if, if they can't access that help, which a lot of times people can't do, whether it's because of a lack of resource, a lack of wealth, a lack of material, a lack of opportunity, or literally just a, a overwhelming impending threat on their life. People can't always go through the necessary kind of, you know, processes of doing things. Sometimes their way to safety or sometimes their way of getting help is literally turning up at the shore, right? It's up to us then um, to to assess kind of people's claims. Like for, I'm not gonna lie. For me, I think anyone should just be able to live anywhere. <laughs> but um, I know what the the kind of British way of thinking is, and they're gonna be like, oh, we need law and law and order in, in you know mm. air brackets. But fine, even even if if that's what you want to prioritize your law and order there is a way to do it where these people come and I, I guess how it was before where you can retrospectively assess their claim you know like anyone who comes seeking asylum should be given asylum I can't understand in what context 
we could say no. And I think a lot of people as well um, make the argument of, oh, well, if they are desperate, why do they come here and not to other countries? But that whole argument just falls apart when you think about the fact that we actually accept way less refugees proportionally than a lot of other European countries. And also, if you were to argue that somewhat... uh, people that are seeking asylum or fleeing their home countries should just go to the first available place, then that whole, the whole idea of refugees, it just wouldn't work because say, for example, from um, people fleeing Syria, they would just go straight to um, Turkey as it has a border with that. And obviously that, that would overload Turkey because Turkey can't possibly take everyone do you know what i mean like there shouldn't be this there shouldn't be this um expectation that people should just go to the nearest border cross it and then there that's it yeah i saw this i saw this video actually like about uh, i saw this video of this um she was a lawyer of some kind maybe like an asylum lawyer or an immigration lawyer or human rights lawyer somewhere within that field and she was responding to someone like, oh, I think it was a Tory MP, actually. Um, he was basically saying the same thing. He was like, oh, well, if they're really in danger, why don't they just go to the first country that they cross into? And and what she was explaining was that actually a lot of the times people come, that come to England, that come to the UK, do so because they have some kind of connection to the UK, whether that is, um, you know, previous family members here, whether that's, you know, certain community here, whether that is um kind of a certain um uh yeah just people people that they have family community yeah or or even literal historical, historical. their country was colonized like oh, yeah. exactly exactly where maybe their parents or grandparents were under british dominion at one point in their home country um maybe they speak the english language you know because literally colonization you know um, so often what happens is that it's people from kind of previous British colonies that tend to come to the UK because the UK went and established those links, right? Um, and secondly, it is kind of this idea, this question, this debate of why does one country have more of a responsibility to house refugees more than another country simply based on geographical location? Why is it, for example, because people be like, oh, well, these people, you know, they come over from Calais, for example. Well, why is it more France's responsibility than it is the UK's? Like, how how do we determine that if not by literally, like, just random geographical positioning, you know? Yeah, you don't even need to be, like, France's or any country's biggest fan to say that, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. it's just I mean, facts. Exactly. And statistically, we do, as as you said, Carl, statistically, we do take significantly less refugees and asylum seekers than a lot of other countries, like even across Europe and the Middle East, you know. So I don't know on what basis, like, firstly, people are even complaining. But it is, as I said, it is that whole whole debate of like, if someone comes here because they're genuinely in need, like, what is their path then to... To, to gain and help like on what basis can we just be like oh you came in here through this method we're not going to take heed of any context we're going to show no sensitivity no compassion just simply because 
and, and as, as we say more time it's because they needed to come through that way we're just going to be like no you can't you can't stay here like yeah i mean especially obviously us being an island we're saying well well the tories are saying with this new bill that it's because they want to stop all these smuggling and these unsafe boat rides but what are the actual safe alternate legal routes for people to actually claim asylum because correct me if i'm wrong but i think the whole idea of asylum is that you turn up and then you're there so you can do it so if you're not turning up on a boat which obviously is we're not endorsing that because it is very dangerous and many people lose their lives. Um, but at the same time, we're in Ireland. If people aren't turning up by boat, then what's the alternative method through which they're going to be offered exactly. to claim asylum? You know exactly. what I mean? And if you're doing it, yeah, and if you're doing it, it's because you don't have any other options. Like, who is we've spoken about this so many times, but who is willingly risking their lives? To make that journey is so treacherous just for a little bit of, just to scrounge off the benefit system in the UK. Come on, guys, be for real. Like, be for yeah. real. You know? The thing is, as well, like this bill, there's still debate as to whether we're actually going to see it like come into um, place, thankfully, in my opinion. But for example, basically, any any legislation in the UK has to be compatible with rights guaranteed under the European Convention on Human Rights. Um, however, when so when in, when they're introducing a bill, the min, um, the minister introducing it has to tell the MPs that either they're confident that it's compatible with this Convention of Human Rights, or that they're unable to say it's compatible, but that they wish to proceed with it anyway. Suella had to do the latter. Um, saying that there's more than a 50% chance that provisions in the new law may not be compatible. So there we have, uh, it's, they, they've literally said that it's probably not compatible with the European Convention of Human Rights. It doesn't mean that the bill's going to um, be illegal, but it's definitely an acknowledgement that like challenges made probably are going to be valid. Exactly, as, 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 as like literally, like, you're, like as government, how can you be so okay knowing that actually this thing that I'm doing, whether or not it's 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 illegal, it's it's not it's not morally right. Like that's why we have these laws, that's why we have human rights bills and conventions and, and all of these things, because it's a it's a like political ratification of what we say our morals and principles are. And you're very happy to say that, yeah, actually, it's going against ethics and morals and values, but, yeah, we're going to push for it anyway. And this is, what, a fortnight after, um, you know, Shamima Begum has lost her appeal to return to the UK, which there's a whole other thing about racism and citizenship and Islamophobia. And the whole thing about the 200 kids that are still missing. Exactly. Like, it's... The way the UK is going, and and oh sorry, hang on, and I, I raised Shamima's point because obviously what the UK are doing to her is literally illegal. Like that's not just like oh, it's a bit morally dubious. That is actually like de- by definition illegal. Um, but that's why it's kind of we can really see like these things are not isolated incidents at all. 
um, we can really, really see the link between kind of doing what they did to Shamima, setting the political precedent that they did, and then now being able to do something like this with this new bill. Um, yeah. It's just terrifying. The political climate, I will say right now, is is terrifying. It is like a rolling down a hill, isn't it? Once it gets momentum, it's like, where is it going to stop? A lot of like when they do these things, like we really need to question. Like, I think a lot of people struggle to have understanding of the gravity of some of what happens in Shamima because they localize it to just Shamima, and a lot of people might have a personal disdain for her or a lack of a personal lack of sympathy for her, which whatever. But because of that, it kind of blinds them to what the larger picture is. And as I say, what the political president, fine, fair enough, you don't like Shamima, blah, 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 you don't care about what happens to her personally. But what do you think it might mean for you as an, you know, as an as an ethnic minority that they're now able to strip citizenships? What do you think it means for the political climate that they've now done something as illegal as this? What do you think it means for, you know, asylum seekers, refugees, ethnic minorities in general, particularly Muslims? Like, what what is the knock-on effect going to be? You know, those are the things that really need to be considered. Just looking as well, like, at one of Rishi's <laughs> tweets, and it's the fact that he's openly saying, um, if you come into the UK illegally, you will be stopped from making late claims and attempts to frustrate your removal. You will be removed in weeks, either to your own country, if it's safe to do so, or to a safe third country, like Rwanda. It's just like... I, I think the whole Rwanda thing. Yeah, Rwanda, like... the really, really, the really safe country, the really legitimate scheme that was not, as we say, morally dubious at all. Mm-hmm. Also, I swear Rwanda literally came back and were like, yeah, we don't actually want to take that many people anyway. So I don't know what's going on with that. But I mean, it's, it's one of many things. Like, there's also. Um, various doctrines in English law that are likely to make Mm. this whole plan of um, people being detained without bail or judicial review for 28 days until they can be removed. It's very unlikely that they're actually going to be able to do that. So... Well, I don't know. Like we say, once they've broken one international law, I'm I'm just... I don't know. I honestly, personally, have zero faith. <laughs> also, literally, have zero faith. I saw a clip of like Labour talking about it, and I think they were basically emphasising that they would deal with the issue. I, to be fair, I think they did say something about offering safer routes to claim asylum, but it was very much like we would do this better rather than this is wrong do you know what i mean like you really want yeah oh dear and again i think to close this whole thing is literally like we're in a cost of living crisis bills are the highest they've ever been the whole country just seems to be in a bit of a collapsing the nhs collapsing your nurses are using food banks poverty level is at all-time high and this is what you're putting your attention on jokers the strikes going on. The teachers are striking. The NHS is striking. Literally, got like the entire infrastructure of the country is crumbling. Fifth largest economy in the world. We are on our bombs. It's actually embarrassing. Like when you look at like charts of the 
leading countries and like i think economic growth wise i think they've all had economic growth and the uk is like the only minus one bad vibes island for real yeah i think as well um i think we often like i often think like growing up like obviously politics has always been there and i think i it was just that we or me myself was more just blissfully unaware of it growing up as a young individual like i wouldn't have known like oh tony blair's done this or that necessarily um Mm. but i do think that the climate that we're in now i do think that if there had been strikes of this level in the past, I feel like I would have known about it. Do you know what I mean? Like I can't remember being in primary school and ever seeing teachers be on strike. Like, or like be, see services like, being on strike into this level. The, it, I, I do think, obviously, like, it has always been bad. I do think it is, like, very insidiously getting worse. You know, like... And that's why we talk about um, that's why we talk about the cost of living crisis the way that we do. That's why we talk about inflation the way that we do. That's why it's literally, as we say, it's a cost of living crisis. You know, like we've been through recessions before and stuff. Yeah, definitely. But it's it's. I think inflation is literally at an all time high, isn't it? In, in 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 at least for a good number of decades, like it is the highest it's been. Um, and those are kind of like real material truths that we can't is that's not just because oh we're grown up and we're aware of that like that's a fact that's just objective fact you know and that obviously then speaks to a certain condition that people are living in big so but but thank god i'm not there (laughs) i'm back to my holiday (laughs) can you can you confirm that cyprus is good vibes island Uh, so far it is good vibes island do you eat halloumi? Oh, I love halloumi. It's the home of halloumi, isn't it? I know. Yeah. I know. I'm looking. Well, I haven't. I haven't actually eaten anything. Yet. I'm starving. I need to. <laughs> yeah. Go get some food, but. Yeah. Right. Well, Halima, you need to go do that. So let's round things up. Thank you to everyone that has tuned in today to listen to this episode of Mango Masala. Make sure that you give us a follow on socials at Mango Masala Radio and we'll be back same time next week, 2 to 4 p.m. here on Pi Radio. It's probably to talk about more Bad Vibes Island stuff, let's be honest. Like, uh, It's really like, oh, I wonder what what terrible, terrible thing is 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 going to come out in the news now. I feel, I, I, I mean, my first instinct in my head was like, oh, we should do like Bad Vibes Island bingo. But I feel like that's honestly tempting fate too much. That's a bad yeah, idea. I'm not, I'm not they will do it. They will do it. Yeah. They'll somehow. Anyway, thanks, guys. See you later. Well, thank you very much. Bye.